Welcome to Capital Cast. I'm Jennifer Fuller. Labor Day marks the traditional start of the campaign season, or perhaps we should say it used to. Campaign rallies, fundraising, and other public events seem to dominate candidates' lives earlier and earlier each cycle. In this edition of Capital Cast, I talked with political analyst John Jackson of SIU Carbondale's Paul Simon Public Policy Institute. He expects one Illinois contest, the race for the Republican nomination in the 12th Congressional District in the southern tip of the state, to be one of the most hotly watched races in the 2024 primary. Incumbent Mike Bost faces a challenge from one-time gubernatorial candidate Darren Bailey. Well, this is a fascinating race in this district. 12th District's the biggest geographically and one of the two most Republican districts in the state. It's as red as any southern state would have a district look like this, rural mostly, and representing the South. And what's happened to the Democratic Party in the South has been what's happened to the Democratic Party in this area. So whoever wins this will be the congressman from the 12th district. And this is an interesting race for a lot of reasons. You've got an incumbent Republican, has won this district or parts of this district five times. Uh, He's now moved up to where he's chair of the Veterans Committee. He's been out taking advantage of that and going to veterans meetings and getting a good reception. Now the rap on Representative Boston in the past has been he doesn't get out and about a lot in terms of showing up at district meetings, but that was when I think he was avoiding Democrats. But in this case, he's he's been pretty out there and very visible since this came along. But you've got Darren Bailey who came out of almost nowhere as uh, sort of the Eastern Bloc uh, super conservative, super pro-Trump candidate knocking off formidable people in that Republican race for the primary in 22. And he won the state going away. He won this district going away. uh, And he just didn't win enough votes by any stretch of the imagination, but in this district he did well, but not as well uh, as Representative Boss. So uh, he's a serious candidate, but I would rate Boss as the odds-on favorite going in. What can be learned here, or what are you watching in terms of a statewide impact? Because a lot of people might look at this and say, well, the 12th is far southern Illinois, not a lot of population, not a lot of influence. Why should we pay attention? Well, because J.B. Pritzker won the popular vote by 54, 46, or 40, 46, I guess it was. J.B. Pritzker won 12 counties. Bailey won 90 counties. If you look at the map, uh, which John Foster and I have done, and we have a paper coming out on that very soon, That map is a sea of red with a few blue islands, most notably Northeast Illinois. And that was a pro-Trump kind of victory. And Bailey got as close as he could to Trump. But it was also the usual lineup of sort of rural and small town going against urban and bigger cities and the medium-sized cities and the suburbs, don't forget, made the absolute key difference. 
And so there are not any significant suburbs in this, but for representing the rest of the state otherwise, uh, this is very representative of where the Republican Party is in much of Illinois, not just deep southern Illinois. This won't be the only race where you have a a Trump-supported and Trump-supporting candidate versus a Trump-supported and Trump-supporting candidate. So this this race to the extreme on the Republican side of the ticket, where do you think the Republican Party's leadership stands in terms of saying this is what the party stands for in Illinois? Well, it depends on the leadership, of course. The Republican Party nationally is running afraid of Donald Trump. They're not going to cross him in any way. Uh, the chair of the Republican Party nationally was appointed by Donald Trump, and he's dominating the RNC. Not so much quite that in terms of Illinois, the sort of establishment Republicans still run the party in Illinois by and large, but they are being challenged by these sort of outsider groups brought in by Donald Trump. And so that indicates the strain in the Republican coalition. Uh, It's not evident down here so much as it is elsewhere, uh, but the Republican leadership in this state and in the Congress want to reelect incumbents. And that means the organizational help is going to uh, Mike Bost. Over the last several election cycles, we've seen Republicans spending a lot of time talking about former House Speaker Michael Madigan and that the problems in Illinois were his fault and the issues that Illinois taxpayers were facing were all because of Mike Madigan. When he was ousted and left the General Assembly, there was this thought that, well, the specter of Madigan won't be a part of elections anymore. Now we have this scheduled federal court hearing for former Speaker Michael Madigan. It's going to come up in the spring, right at the same time that we're hitting the really busy part of the election season. We also have court hearings scheduled for Donald Trump in federal court, in state courts, talking about this corruption. What does that do for voters when they're looking at the leadership in both parties really having problems with holding on to the public trust? Well, the public trust is is in the pits. It's really terrible toward the national government or toward state government, either one, and it's only gotten worse over the last four to six to eight years. And those examples you cite are two of the major reasons. Uh, I think uh, the Republicans will continue somewhat running against Mike Madigan, but they will clothe it in get rid of corruption, get rid of the elites, get rid of those people that have messed up Illinois, and less and less will it be about Mike Madigan per se, because Madigan's been gone for a while, and while for political junkies, that whole thing is there, Uh, more and more people will start forgetting or caring who Mike Madigan is. Now, they won't forget or care who Donald Trump is, and he'll be a presence at the national level. So it kind of cuts both ways, but the Republicans are running against crime. They're running against Chicago being out of control. That has certain dog whistle kinds of 
appeals that go without saying, but it gets the job done nevertheless. And so that will be more and more that generic kind of appeal. With so many more sources of information, and in some cases, difficulty in deciphering what the actual source of information is, what's a voter to do if they're trying to really see what kind of candidate they're looking for or really search for specific issues? What's your recommendation for how they can go about finding that? Well, do something bigger than looking at your Facebook friends, because that's going to get you the reinforcement of the silo that you're already in. And if you're just going to stay in that silo, you're not going to learn anything. As you know, I'm a big fan of PBS and NPR, and I think they do the best job of all. Uh, I think your organization does a fine job of being balanced and sane about coverage and not letting extremists run away with the with the symbolic politics that they like to mine. And you've got to look at those kinds of variegated sources uh, I personally think CNN tries to be balanced. They've got lots of Republicans on those panels in CNN. I know people on the right uh, think CNN is communist run, but to me, it, it's even more lately bending over backward to have at least some Republican representation and often fairly articulate and authoritative Republicans that are talking about whatever the issue of the day. I saw one of them who was a Republican uh, advisor just yesterday or the day before point out that the special counsel's two major cases against Donald Trump have all been built around Republicans who provided the evidence and who are the ones that he is using in those indictments. And so Republicans of that ilk are willing to sort of tell the truth, and that's useful. Let's go a little bit to what we talk about a lot when it comes to elections. And as a political scientist, a political analyst, you kind of have to be a little bit of a political historian as well. When it comes to money, do you think that with caps off, there is no end to the amount of money that will be poured into elections, particularly at the federal level? Uh, yes, generically, there's basically no caps left. The only way the cap is there is on official, not dark money. But the dark money and the super PACs have taken over so much. It's an inconvenience and to some extent a bookkeeping exercise on how you get that official money that has to be counted under the FEC. But uh, the whole question of money is just out of control ever since Citizens United. Now, the money in this race going to come from RNC and from sources that Mike Bostis depended on before. It's unclear where Mr. Bailey's sources are going to come from. And he's got to get somebody like Richard Dulane to come in again and help him out. And it's not impossible that someone would do that. But he's the one that's disadvantaged currently on the money front. But on the bigger picture, the money is just basically uncontrollable. The whole original act that tried to fix this uh, was became fine go. And it's basically been gutted by the 401c4s and the black money sources. Was there another time where it felt like the parties were racing to extremes or where you saw 
Republicans or Democrats running against each other saying that they were the most extreme and therefore the best candidate of their party? Uh, there was some of that in the Richard Nixon era, and that would be 1968, 1972. And that that's familiar territory for us. And certainly uh, Richard Nixon versus George McGovern was a slam bang, uh, ideological country's going to hell in a handbasket if the other side wins. But at that point, the parties were beginning the realignment, but they were not as realigned as now. So there was still a bigger middle. And in the Republican Party, there were some fairly liberal Republicans. And in the Democratic Party, there were some very conservative Southern Democrats, especially. So while there is a reminiscent feeling from that era, uh, this is a much more polarized and a much more bitter kind of polarization. So as we look ahead to the primary, it won't be long after Illinois' primary in March that we head to political conventions, and they'll actually be both very close. The Democratic yeah. National Convention in Chicago, the Republican National Convention in Wisconsin and Milwaukee, how critical is it that those parties come out with a very clear message for what the party stands for versus perhaps what the presidential nominee has in his or her platform? Well, that's really the way it should be. Uh, it's not clear that it will happen. As you may know, Republicans didn't even bother to adopt a platform in the last go round. They just said what Donald Trump's been doing is our platform. They put it out on a one page document. So that's absolutely unheard of. And it could come down to that again. We could get a rerun of do you like Donald Trump or hate him or do you like Joe Biden or hate him? And that's not very healthy. And so the parties are going to have to concentrate on talking about where they're going and Biden will have to defend his record. Donald Trump will have to defend his record, assuming he's going to be the nominee, which I think he will. And it needs to be given some content. But the impetus for the kind of media that we have, particularly the silos I was talking about, is for cable network to choose upsides and not delve into much of anything beyond Trump versus Biden and all the baggage they carry. Bringing things back around then to that first part of what we talked about in the 12th congressional district in Illinois as a whole, do you still see Illinois as a, a state that stands out because of its democratic leanings when it comes to the politics of the Midwest? Oh yeah, I think it is the leading example of politics of the Midwest, although in a more narrow sense of competitiveness, Michigan, for example, would be an excellent alternative. Minnesota, an excellent alternative. Wisconsin, they're the sort of competitive. But what's important about Illinois, it is and has always been most representative of the country at large. So the big question for Illinois Democrats particularly, can they turn out the vote? Can they get young people excited? Can they get minorities excited? There's all this talk about young people don't know or care about uh, Biden's record. 
grumbling in the black community about something or another that didn't get done, grumbling by some environmentalists. So looking at Illinois as representative of the nation, the whole issue of turnout, how do they do in the burbs? How do they do on the issue of abortion? All of those things are going to be critical for Democrats to make a showing in Illinois and for Democrats to do that writ large in the nation. John Jackson is a political analyst with SIU's Paul Simon Public Policy Institute. You can find the paper he referenced looking at the 2024 election, the most recent in the Simon Review series, at paulsimoninstitute.siu.edu. I'm Jennifer Fuller.